Hello and welcome to the Conflict Skills Podcast. I'm your host, professional mediator, Simon Good. In this episode of the podcast, episode 16 actually, so I'm quite, I guess, proud of the fact that I've managed to maintain this podcast consistently until now, albeit probably some episodes are a little bit more sporadic than others. In this episode, I'll be talking about how to give ultimatums. So you've reached the point where you've asked someone to do something and they haven't changed. And you need to basically explain to them, this will be the consequence if this behavior continues. I talked in the previous episode about an example of a staff member using their phone a lot at work. And I talked briefly about the framework that I often suggest as in terms of how to give these ultimatums. Uh, but in the episode today, I'll be talking a lot more about some of the reasons why this approach tends to work and giving a few different examples from your kids, uh, your boss who might be overly micromanaging or giving you negative feedback in front of the rest of the team or something like that. Maybe a staff member doing the wrong thing and you could even use it with your partner, different family members or friends as well. The level of formality I guess that you choose to use would depend on the context, but a similar type of framework or a similar I guess approach can be used across a number of different situations. Before we get into that topic though of the ultimatums, if you've got a question or a situation or a topic that you'd like me to consider for a future episode of the podcast, you can email podcast at simongood.com. It's S-I-M-O-N-G-O-O-D-E.com. It's my website. I've got a number of different resources there, templates that you can use, um, guides for particular issues that you might be dealing with. So I'd encourage you to have a look at that. But if you'd like to give feedback or ask a question about the podcast, then podcast at simongood.com is the best way to get in touch. Thank you so much for listening. Let's get into that topic of how to give ultimatums. So I guess to start with, I probably should explain what I mean by an ultimatum. <laughs> in my mind, it's where you've basically reached the stage of the final warning. Now, this might, in some situations, be the first warning. <laughs> Maybe you've got a staff member and they've um, been caught for driving under the influence of alcohol. They've been drinking and so even if this is the first time you're raising it with them, that's likely to be the kind of situation where, you know, this is the final straw. This is also your final warning. So I don't necessarily mean that you've given the person warnings or raised it previously, but in most situations, I would suggest raising the issue in more of a collaborative framework first. I probably wouldn't come up and say, if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen right out of the gate as, as a first step. I'd probably raise the issue and say, hey, this is a problem. What's your take on it? I might clarify expectations in more of a gentle way. Depending on the situation, I might do that less formally, like just mention something while we're going to get a coffee or going for a walk. In other situations, I'd want to do it very formally. If I'm working with a billionaire client and doing a, you know, a project that's in the hundreds of thousands or million dollar range, then I probably would need to more clearly say, like, if I don't receive an email back from you by close of business today, this is what the consequence might be. Doing that more formally, putting it in writing, having other people there, organizing a specific meeting, all of those would be different factors to consider in terms of how this ultimatum is delivered. Who should give it? What's the best way to do it? What's the best timing for it? All of that kind of thing. I think a lot of the challenge for people when they're giving ultimatums is that they're not exactly sure what they want, want, want to achieve, and they almost take a default way of communicating this. A lot of the time, this is the way that they've been dealt with previously themselves by 
early bosses in their career or maybe even how their parents communicated and dealt with changing their own behavior. And it's worth just pausing and developing some options because in many situations, there's a number of different ways that we can address an issue. And it might be that in some situations, although it feels very raw and personal and urgent in the moment, it might be something that we even choose to postpone. We choose the best timing to deal with this issue, which might not be right now. If the other person's just completely overwhelmed, really stressed, you coming and saying, I also need you to change this other thing might be the straw that broke the camel's back and they just don't have the capacity to take on board feedback right now. So I'd choose the timing, I would choose the format and the way that this conversation happens, who's involved, how for, how firm am I, what level of formality is needed, does it need to be in writing, does it need a, you know, a formal meeting minutes to be taken, all of that would depend on the, the situation. I think a lot of the time people get stuck in ultimatums because they're also focused on things that are outside of their control. They think that their job is to change the other person's behavior. Whereas in actuality, what their job is, is to firmly clarify expectations, explain the consequence if the behavior doesn't change, and then to implement those consequences. That's the area that they are responsible for, the process. You're not necessarily responsible for the outcome. So if my child's doing the wrong thing, I can communicate clearly, I can put in place different interventions, I can give them a warning, I can take something away, I can reward or punish them. What I can't do is guarantee that their behavior will change. We're not often as in control of the outcome as we think, which causes people a lot of stress when there's a lot at stake. You might be a caring, engaged, supportive manager, and you're seeing someone doing the wrong thing and it's impacting other members of the team. That's a really tough spot to be. That high level of a sense of responsibility with a low level of ability to influence the situation often causes people a lot of stress, which means that when they go in to give the ultimatum, they're often quite worked up themselves. There's a high level of emotion, there's a buildup of stress for them, for you, uh, which means that when you engage in the conversation, you're both walking in there fully charged and so that then you become escalated or maybe for them there's been a build-up of issues, especially if there's something that's at stake and they haven't been told clearly what is expected of them, then when you finally go to raise it with them, it's possible that the person that you're dealing with will also react very strongly. There might be a level of escalation for them too. And as I've explained in a previous episode, when someone's in that fight or flight state, very emotionally charged and worked up, what it actually means is that the rational, logical section of their brain is not working, or at least not working to full capacity. So in terms of how to give this ultimatum, you should also think about the way that you speak, the way that you sit and stand, as well as the actual words that you use. Some very common mistakes in terms of giving ultimatums is that people tend to be too soft or too hard. When I'm doing training in assertiveness, one of the things that I often talk about is that this is a subjective um, area. Whether I'm being assertive uh, depends on the way that it's perceived. And the challenge with this is that it's actually in the eyes of the perceiver. <laughs> we can do our best to be assertive, but it's possible that we might come across as being too full on and over the top and aggressive, or maybe someone else would perceive our behavior as being too passive. So the mistakes that people often make tend to fit into those two different categories. 
we're too soft, we tolerate negative behaviours, we leave it too long to raise an issue, we ask someone to change but we're not firm enough, we don't explain the consequences and then we let it go so then it might create a precedent that the other person feels like they can walk all over the top of us. The other type of error or mistake that people make is to be too hard or too harsh. They come in very over the top, they're aggressive or at least perceived to be aggressive in the way that it's dealt with, which means that sometimes an employee would complain about being bullied or being harassed or you know, being intimidated by the manager that they're dealing with. And that wasn't the manager's intention. They had in mind to try to be assertive, but unfortunately because of the way that they've done it or the words that they've used, the phrases, etc., it hasn't been received that way. So we want to try and find the sweet spot for being assertive in between being too passive or being too aggressive. For me, the starting point often is that I think about dealing with the issue in a direct, calm and confident way. I want to talk about the behavior, the problems and what I need them to change. This is a change in behavior. I don't use labels like you're not taking this job seriously or you know, you're um, not being supportive, your performance is a joke. All of those kind of labels probably would come across as being aggressive. But I also do my best not to be too minimizing or tolerating of negative behaviors. I would need to be firm and say, this is not negotiable. This needs to change. This is what I need from you moving forward. So being direct and doing it in this calm and confident way often seems to be a helpful starting point for a lot of people that I coach. In terms of the conversation itself, you should choose the time and the place, the people that are involved, and do that strategically. Respond rather than just reacting. Don't just have a knee-jerk reaction. If you see someone doing the wrong thing, you don't necessarily need to have the conversation right now. It might be something that you can decide how to deal with and address, but maybe it's later this afternoon, tomorrow, next week. Hold off for the one-on-one -on -one meeting that you have with them later. That might be a better way to do it than in public on the floor of the warehouse that you're working in, in front of the person's peers. So we've decided to give an ultimatum. You'd think about the best time and place to do that. The first element that you need to consider is body language. As I've said, I often find calm and confident to be a helpful, I guess, baseline to consider. But of course, there's a whole bunch of different nonverbal or paraverbal communication cues uh, that we can utilize as well. So for example, I would want to have open body language. I would want to minimize movement. I don't want to be pacing back and forth or tapping a pen on the desk or frantically gesticulating, even if I'm the kind of person that uses my hands a lot when I talk. When I'm giving an ultimatum, I would want to limit movement to be relatively still. I'd want to make eye contact and show that I'm paying attention to them when I'm speaking and particularly when they're speaking and I'm listening. I would want to stand around one and a half meters apart from the person. Closer than that might trigger that fight or flight response. And that can also be activated when we move towards or even away from the other person. So I would want to stay the same distance from them. Sitting tends to help rather than standing up to have these kind of conversations. I would want to be at the same level. I definitely wouldn't want to be standing over the top of someone. Again, that has the risk of triggering that escalation of fight or flight in them. Um, and even if I'm sitting down, I might not want to be straight across from them, this adversarial kind of connotation that can creep in if it's me against you. So standing up, I might 
put one of my shoulders back a little bit so I'm standing slightly askew. And if I'm setting up a meeting room to talk to someone about an issue like this, I might sit diagonally from the person so that we're not straight across from each other in direct opposition in that adversarial kind of way. So thinking about body language is something that's really important and you should also carefully consider the tone of voice that you use. Before you've even thought about the actual words, it's important to think about how you speak. Generally, using a low tone, so a lower tone of voice like this, is more helpful than a higher tone of voice like this. If I talk in a higher tone of voice like this, it tends to escalate that level of emotion. So lowering the tone of voice, lowering the volume that I speak, speaking at a slightly lower volume than normal, and a slightly slower speed. Low volume, lower tone, slower speed tends to be the three really helpful elements to establish that calm and confident tone. And it minimizes the chance of the other person reacting and escalating. I would want to allow pauses and I would want to keep the tone of voice that I'm using relatively steady. Even if I can feel myself getting upset, maybe I feel like the other person's lying or they're not listening to me or they're being unreasonable with how they're responding. I can have all of those feelings, but I don't want that to display. <laughs> I want to do my best to manage that reaction myself and not let it affect the way that I'm speaking. So continue to use that low tone, low volume, slow speed, even if I can feel myself starting to get a bit annoyed about how the other person's um, responding. Um, you also don't want to match the other person's escalation. This is often a question people ask in training that I run on conflict resolution skills. You know, I've heard about mirroring. Should I match what the other person's doing? And most of the time, my response is no. If the other person's yelling, interrupting you, speaking very frantically and quickly, I wouldn't usually match their voice because they're likely to pick up on that emotion that I'm conveying and then it can have a bit of a snowball effect. So even if the other person's yelling, speaking over the top of me, frantically gesturing themselves, looking angry, <laughs> I wouldn't probably match that emotion, that affect. I would do my best to remain calm and probably in that confident way. I'm not flustered. I'm not flapped. We can get through this. I'm not rattled because that will mean that the other person starts to pick up on these emotions that we're expressing. Uh, we tend to perceive and be affected by the emotions of other people, whether or not we realize it and whether or not we intend to be. So given that we know that, then the emotion that we convey and that we express needs to be the kind of emotion that we want them to be experiencing, which is to be calm, to have a rational conversation, to focus on the future and the options, and so if we want to influence them in that direction, then we need to almost be a good role model in that sense. So you think about the body language that you use, the tone of voice, and keep that consistent throughout the conversation as much as possible. And then what we need to do first before we give an ultimatum is to raise the issue and give them a chance to share their perspective. We want to confront them when they're not doing the right thing to be clear about what's expected, but not necessarily give an ultimatum, just say, Hey, you know, this is the third time you haven't called me when you're back later than we agreed. Could you make sure that you let me know when you're running late? Uh, this is the third time I've noticed that you've given me feedback in front of the other members of the team. When that happens, it makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm happy to take on board feedback about my performance. And after all, you've got a lot more experience than I have in the work that we do. 
I'd prefer, though, if you'd give me that feedback privately. Is that something that you could agree to? Are there any issues with that on your end? So we ask them to change without giving an ultimatum. You might even consider what I talk about as the six sources of influence, engaging other people to change the behavior, changing the structures to change the behavior, the environment. So if I'm reminding someone about wearing the correct safety equipment during their job, maybe moving where that equipment is stored so that it's right next to where they're doing the work would solve the problem and I don't actually end up needing to give them this ultimatum. Giving them training to do a particular task might mean that I'm not just going through Groundhog Day and asking them to do the same thing again and again and again. Maybe it's their ability is the problem. Or maybe I need to consider, you know, giving a more positive feedback when they're doing the right thing. That might solve some of the problems too. But assuming that all of those different interventions haven't worked, then we've reached the point where we need to give an ultimatum. Now, a lot of people just say, if you continue to do this, this is what's going to happen. If you're late one more time, then you're going to lose your job, mate. And of course, when we give a threat like this, it's perceived as a threat (laughs) because this is a threat. If you do this, this is what will happen. And we tend to get a pretty strong negative reaction as a result. You can't talk to me like this. You're completely overreacting. You're being ridiculous. And then before you know it, you're in a debate about either the facts of the situation or whether or not you've overreacted. There tends to be very limited engagement and buy-in with what we've asked the other person to do, and it's not that likely to result in a change in behavior. And actually, when we come across as too over the top, it might mean that we trigger defensiveness in the other person. And even if in the moment they say yes to what we've asked them to do, they might walk away resentful, and so they find a way to get back at us to... I don't know, they see a problem in the work and they don't raise it and they just think, well, too bad, I've been treated unfairly, so what do they expect? Or they gossip and talk with other members of the team negatively and so there could be, you know, some negative impact that spreads. So we want to be careful about the way that we give these threats. The better way to do it, to give these ultimatums, is to do it as a choice. And so the basic framework that we would use is like this. This is the negative thing you're doing. This is what I want you to stop. But this is the consequence that will happen if that behavior doesn't change. Look, this is the third time I've talked to you about punctuality. I just want to be transparent that if you're late again and you haven't let me know, then I'll need to consider a formal performance management process. If I see you using your phone while you're driving again, we're actually going to need to let your team leader know that. Uh, If you continue to use that kind of language with your team, you know, calling them idiots, then that's something that I'll need to notify HR about because that's in breach of our policies around respectful workplace communication. So we say this is what you're doing wrong and this is the consequence if it doesn't change. We could do that very specifically, like you will lose shifts, you will be fired. Uh, If you're late again, I'm actually going to not help you with this task that you've asked me to help you with. If you don't put your plate on the sink, I'm going to turn the iPad off. (laughs) Uh, Being very direct, if this happens again, this is what the consequence would be. Then we say, or, on the other hand, if you can manage to do this differently. And then we explain what we want them to do and the better consequence that will follow. So if you can make sure that you're on time or let me know when you're running late, then we don't, we don't need to have any more of these conversations moving forward. So I say, this is the bad thing you're doing. This is the bad consequence. Or 
if you can do this, what I'm asking you to do, this is the better, more positive consequence for you. So let's look at a few examples. My son is seven years old now and he loves iPad. <laughs> he loves watching YouTube kids or playing different games that he's, you know, to be honest, a bit addicted to, I think, using screens and using the iPad in particular. And I'm often wanting him to do things like get ready for bed, have a shower, put his plate on the sink, finish eating the food that's on his plate, whatever else it might be. So if I just say to him, mate, if you don't put your plate on the sink, the iPad's going to have to go off. It's pretty likely that if he doesn't listen and then I take the iPad away, that there'll be a meltdown and a tantrum that I need to deal with. And to be honest, I don't really enjoy dealing with meltdowns and tantrums, but particularly if I'm trying to leave to get him to school and then I can start work or whatever it is, I don't want that extra headache and drama. I don't want that extra issue to deal with. So the better way to do that, instead of just saying, if you don't put your plate on the sink, the iPad's going to go off, would be to frame it as a choice. I might say something like, look, mate, if you don't put your plate on the sink, the iPad's going to have to go off. Or if you can pause your show, put your plate on the sink, then I'll give you an extra five minutes. I clearly outline the choice that he has and the consequence either way, but we put the positive option second. When we do it in that structure, bad choice first, positive choice second, it has more prevalence in the person's memory and attention and tends to increase the chances that they actually change their behavior. Another example, maybe you've got a workplace issue that you're dealing with, a staff member who's not riding, wearing the right uh, protective equipment, safety equipment that they need to be dealing with wearing a high hat, uh, sorry, a hard hat on a construction site or safety gloves that they're meant to be wearing. And again, often managers would just come and say, where's your, where's your, where's your hard hat, mate? What the hell are you doing? I've told you about this before. And it's not likely that that's going to result in long-term change in behavior. A better way to do it would be to say, mate, this is the third time I've need to talk to you about wearing your hard hat on the job site. When you're not wearing it, you're in breach of our safety guidelines. If I see you not wearing it again, I'm actually going to ask you to leave. We can't have people on site not wearing the right equipment because if an accident happens, then we're liable. Or if the client comes or if an inspector comes, we'll be punished for that. There'll be a fine that we'll need to pay or we might actually get told that we can't continue to work for a period of time. It's not something that we can tolerate, mate. If you can make sure you're wearing the right equipment and when I come and see you, you've got it on, then you don't need to worry about any of these issues. You can keep working like normal. I'm happy to continue to engage you, to use you moving forward. If I need to keep reminding you about it, then we'll need to consider other staff to perform that work that you're doing. So we frame it as a choice. If you don't wear the right gear, this is what will happen. If you do wear the right gear, this is the better consequence. Another example, maybe you've got a difficult client. A lot of the time I'm engaging clients for training workshops and one of the challenges is getting information back from them. <laughs> Sometimes I'm asking them, can you send me through some scenarios or talk to the staff who are attending the session about which topics they would find most relevant and I haven't heard back from them. To be honest, most of the time this isn't such a big deal and I've got a lot of experience doing conflict resolution training and I'm perfectly fine in most situations just to take a flexible approach and people can ask questions or raise issues in the session itself. But sometimes I would like to get that information ahead of time so that I can prepare. 
So again, I might frame this as a choice. Hey, just following up on those case studies that we talked about previously, it doesn't look like that you've sent them through, but let me know if I've missed an email. So I'm just flagging the issue first in probably more of a neutral way, trying to set up a collaborative frame, but saying, look, I haven't heard back from you yet. I, you know, I just want to give you a heads up. If I don't receive them from you by close of business today, I won't be able to include them formally in case studies. Of course, if staff would still like to bring them as questions or they can raise them on the day, that's fine. It will just mean that we can't include it in the handouts and printed material. So I'm saying to them, if I don't get this back from you, this is what the consequence will be. I can't prepare. I can't include it in that more explicit way that we discussed. If you can send them to me, even if it's relatively brief by this afternoon, then I'll adapt them and include as case studies in the workshop, which will mean that we can use them for role play activities during the training. So this is the more positive thing. Please get back to me like you've agreed to. And if you're able to do that, this is the more positive consequence I can incorporate in the training workshop next week. Talking to a client maybe about a payment, you could use a very similar framework. Um, look, I'm just following up on this invoice. It doesn't look like we've received payment yet. I just want to be clear with you that in terms of our policies, it might actually mean that there's a delay in the project that we're working on. If you're able to make sure that payment is made by the end of the week or close of business today or as soon as possible or whatever the time frame is that you have in mind, I personally would tend to be more specific, like I need it by this date, then there'll be no delays and the work can just continue as planned. If we don't get an invoice, this is what we'll, if we don't get a payment, this is what will happen. Or if you can make sure that we do get it, this is the better consequence for you. Finally, maybe you've got a boss and manager who's a bit over the top. They criticize your work publicly. That can be something that a lot of people don't like. <laughs> it's embarrassing and uncomfortable in the moment, but it also might impact on the way that other people perceive you. They think that you're constantly making mis mistakes because they see your boss chewing you out in public. And that might be something that you want to talk to your boss about. And you might say something like, when that happens, it makes me uncomfortable. If all we do is focus on the negative, it's likely that the boss would get defensive. I am not, you're overreacting. I do not do that so often. Or, well, I need to give you feedback. It's part of my job as a manager. What do you expect? And then before you know it, you're in a debate. The better way to do it would be as a choice. Hey, I just want to raise the issue of how you give feedback. When it happens in front of the other members of the team, it actually makes me quite uncomfortable. I'm happy to take on board feedback from you. And after all, you've got a higher level of experience than me doing this kind of work. Could you do that more privately? In that case, I would be more willing to maybe ask questions and understand where you're coming from, which would mean that my work can improve quicker. So it's like, this is the bad thing, giving me the criticism in public. This is the bad consequence, makes me feel uncomfortable. This is what I want you to do. Could we do that privately moving forward? Is that something that you would consider? And this is the more positive consequence. This would actually mean that I'm in a better frame of mind to take on board that feedback so that some of these issues that you've talked about needing to raise a number of time times, um, hopefully we can clarify expectations and make sure we're on the same page moving forward and doing it in that more private setting might mean that we can both be a little bit more candid and direct in terms of dealing with this issue. What do you think? So we give that ultimatum in that same way. Look, this is what you're not doing well. This is the consequence. This is what I'd like you to do. Depending on the situation, you could be more firm, 
if there's a lot at stake, this is the third or fourth time that you've raised this issue, maybe you're not as flexible, you're more firm. So I might say to my boss something like, look, I've asked you to give me that feedback in private before, but today during the team meeting, again, you raised an issue of my work performance. I just want to be clear that if this happens in the meeting again, I've actually considering raising this with HR. I'm happy to take on board feedback, but as I've explained previously, I'd prefer that to be done privately. If there's topics that affect the whole members of the team, then of course we can raise those during our, our group meetings. But if there's something specifically that I've done that you have an issue with, I'd prefer if you'd talk to me about that directly. And if we can do that privately, that will mean that of course we can go into detail and we're probably both more engaged and we can collaborate uh, to come up with an option that works for all of us. Is that something that you can agree to? And then if they don't do what you've asked them to do, your son doesn't put his plate on the sink, the staff member's not wearing the right safety gear, the boss continues to criticize you publicly, then you might need to execute that threat. Raising the issue with HR, taking the iPad away, <laughs> telling the person that they need to leave and you're not going to pay them for the rest of the day because they're breaching the site rules. Um, what we can do is be in charge of the process, the way that we give the warning clarifying our expectations, giving them a chance to share their perspective. But if the behavior doesn't change, there'll be a point where you can't tolerate it anymore. A lot of the time I'm coaching managers and team leaders and things have reached that point, but they just continue to give more and more warnings. And often I say to them, well, what's at stake here? What's at risk if you continue to tolerate this bad behavior? And, you know, let's just think about that. It's a cost benefit analysis we need to do okay, well, there's some positives of letting it go and there'll be some negatives of addressing it. On the other hand, if you do address it, there will also be a set of positives and negatives that come, costs and benefits. At least it will mean that the situation doesn't continue. But right now, even though the boss is doing the wrong thing, they're being pedantic, they're micromanaging, whatever it is, the other option that you've got is raising a formal issue with HR and depending on what's going on for you in your life, this might not be a time that you want that extra stress on your plate. You've got young kids that you're dealing with, you're going through relationship challenges, your own mental health is impacted. Maybe right now you're not up for going through a big formal mediation process with HR. Or maybe you're applying for a promotion at the moment, so you're not actually going to have to deal with this boss after the next couple of months. So you can tolerate it in the short term, even though they're actually doing something that you think that they should change. On the other hand, maybe there's a lot at stake. This boss has been treating you really poorly for a number of years, and you've reached the point where you just can't tolerate it moving forward. In that case, if you've given the ultimatum firmly, then it's probably time to start considering doing something about it. That might be applying for other jobs, looking at an internal mechanism to deal with it, talking to a more senior person about it, raising a formal grievance if you've got a complaints or grievance process that you can follow. Um, if you've given the ultimatum, you've explained to them what you want and they're not changing, it's up to you to decide how long you'll tolerate that for. And what I've noticed when I'm doing coaching is that people often wish that they dealt with something earlier rather than just letting it go and tolerating it because what tends to happen is it's created an expectation. There's a precedent then that you can give a warning and the other person could just ignore you, in which case you probably shouldn't be surprised if the other person's behavior doesn't change. So give the ultimatum as a choice, talk about the negative behavior and what the consequence will be, or 
what the positive behavior is and what the more positive consequence will be. So I hope that that's been helpful for you talking about that issue of ultimatums in the podcast today. If you've got any questions about something that I've talked about, you can shoot me an email. Or if you've got a different situation, a case study, a question that you'd like me to cover in a future episode of the podcast, you can email podcast at simongood.com. Thank you very much for listening and all the best navigating the conflict situations that you're dealing with at the moment. Bye for now.